Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast on Christmas Eve Eve, as it's called, uh, on, on December 23rd. On, on Sunday afternoon, we're here with Matt Wilsey to talk about Real Madrid three-peating the Club World Championship. Matt, how you doing? Doing well, Kian. Yep, we added yet another trophy to uh, our illustrious collection, so I'm ready to get dive into this and just talk about the match. You and I are also will be back on Tuesday to update everyone in the players on loan. We're not going to talk about that as much as I kind of want to already. I know. <laughs> <laughs> There's like some fun things that, you know, with Odegaard and then we had the um, Raul de Tomas versus Mayoral show- showdown today. Yep. So, um, stay tuned on Tuesday. That's for our patrons. So patreon.com slash managermajid if you want access to that show. We do it every Tuesday. We update uh, everybody on the players on loan. And uh, and Matt Wilty and I will actually be able to record together on Tuesday, which doesn't always happen. So that's it's <laughs> going to be exciting. Um, you did the player ratings for this Club World Championship where Real Madrid beats Al Ain 4-1. What was your initial reaction to this match? Um, I think it was overall just... A solid performance. We've seen games in the past, in past years under Zidane and the Club World Cup, where sometimes we eked out these results against these smaller teams, and it was much more difficult than expected. Um, this game was not not under that storyline. We actually just dominated pretty much from start to finish. And two, my two players of the match, obviously number one, and I'm sure we'll get into this more later. But Marco Chorente, unbelievable. The kid is just. He's going from strength to strength and just playing incredibly well. And then my other top performer just under Llorente was uh, Luka Modric. I thought he had a great performance, probably one of his best of the season. Um, So nice to see him end 2018 with a nice goal and just an overall great performance. So there's a few things you touched on there. One thing like that, it doesn't really matter. Like I want to also preface everything we say that – how much does this tournament matter? Not much. It's like it's one of those things if you just can't lose it. If you lose it, it's a big deal. But if you win it, it's not a big deal. It's yep. like so but one thing that you pointed out, which is really true, is that Real Madrid in the past two, three years, they haven't really looked convincing in this tournament. But they, they do win it. And two thousand so two years ago against Kashima Antlers they they really played well against us. They had a really nice organized defensive team, as they did this year. Um, but but we found a lot of space on that on the flanks, and and once Marcelo and Bale got going, it was over. Um, and Al Ain just didn't defend nearly as well in the final, for what it's worth. But and then last year we had who was it that we played that their goalkeeper turned into literally Thanos? It was like. <laughs> It was like the Avengers on Thanos where everybody unleashes their superpowers and then and he just stops them all. It was like that. He had like a yeah. record amount of saves. It was an unbelievable performance from this goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I rem- I'm picturing the goalkeeper. I just can't remember the team right now. <laughs> uh, forgive our ignorance for not knowing. But yeah. I, you know, we don't really cover anything in, in Asia, so we don't really know all the specifics. But <clears throat> um, Right, and, and so this in this tournament, it was much more routine. Like in, in the... Kashima and was it was relatively routine apart from like the first 20 minutes or so which we already broke down on the Wednesday podcast and then this one I just thought Al Ain didn't defend nearly as well like there was so many holes and, and like we had so much space on the flanks they weren't defending any of the cutbacks there were so many players open in the box I really felt like 4-1 it was a fine scoreline 
it really could have and probably should have been more. And it should have been more, I think, because I think our decision-making in the final third could have been better. Whereas like I, there were opportunities where Bale and Benzema both had chances to square to each, square to each other wide open. They didn't. They tended to sh- decide to shoot. And then you had the Vinicius, which turned into a goal. But like it probably shouldn't have. And it, if he just squares it to Bale, it's a goal anyway. But I mean, this is like classic Vinicius. Just do things on the left flank and the ball ends up in the net somehow. Yeah, yeah that, that, that goal is eerily similar to his first or Valladolid. not necessarily yeah the goal where it, again it was an own goal he just kind of made it happen somehow but um one thing that you touched on that I wanted to kind of expand upon I completely agree that this game could have been a lot more and honestly uh Alain's goalkeeper was incredible himself and and I think some of our finishing was poor uh I'm Zima had an early opportunity after being fed the ball by Lucas yeah. Vasquez that he kind of leaned back too much and the ball went over. And then Lucas himself had a good uh, good opportunity, which just went wide uh, in the first half. So we definitely could have had a couple more goals. And like you said, Al- Alain gave us way too much space, just way too much space. You can't give Real Madrid players that much space. They just will destroy you. Yeah, the Benzema miss was bad. I will also say, like, there were two misses that I actually enjoyed somehow. They were, like, back-to-back in the first half where, one, Bale gets to a really hard header and he just leaps and he heads it far post with a lot of power. The goalkeeper saves it and it goes for a second corner and then the ensuing corner, Kroos just lofts it and Modric hits this perfect goal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was gorgeous. And I was like, gorgeous. that's got to go in. But it just, it, the goalkeeper made another great save, but it was a brilliant strike. Um, I think the case in point with like something that kind of exemplifies how much space we had, just look at Modric's first goal. It was like Benzema had all the time in the world to just lay it off to a wide open Modric. And if, I'm not taking anything away from that gorgeous finish with a left foot far post curler, but he just had so much space. And it wasn't it wasn't like a single incident. It was just recurring. It was just waves and waves. Um, one thing that, and I mean, Forgive me, I haven't. I didn't watch any Club World Championships outside of Ramadan's two games. I think I can be forgiven for that. Um, <laughs> I was lucky enough to have my favorite commentator, Stu Holden, calling the game on the final. And he was saying that every time uh, Alain had a corner, he would, he would comment that they, would, they always flood the near post with players and hope for a flick on to the, like, uh, to the net. And that's how they scored against River. And so apparently set pieces would have, was supposed to be a big thing for them. That was like their one way of hurting um, Real Madrid somehow, like, you know, through a prayer. Apart Because apart from Kaido, the Brazilian winger, they didn't really have anything um, to, in terms yeah. of offensive creation. But their set pieces were just awful. Like they were like amateurishly bad. Like I'm not sure actually I've seen like even local a local game where I've seen corners that bad or like free <laughs> kicks that bad. There was one in the second half. I don't know if you remember. He just kind of sliced it, <laughs> and it like almost it almost looked like it went behind him somehow. It was just it was, oh yeah 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 I yeah. remember that yeah it was shocking. <laughs> so their set well, pieces weren't great. Yeah, and I I mean almost from a selfish I don't know if it's a selfish perspective because obviously I want Real Madrid to win, but I I really wanted to see a Real Madrid River Plate final. Yeah, it would have been too. interesting to see Palacios potentially play against his future employers and how he would compete in a midfield against Cruz, Modric, and Llorente. I just, I really wanted to see that, so I was kind of bummed that the final wasn't that. Obviously, it made it an easier path for Real Madrid, so you can't complain there, but still, 
Um, but that's that's not the Alain did have a few opportunities. I do remember Sergio Ramos yeah, um, yeah, yeah. saving it with his knee off the goal line pretty early in the match. There, there were two moments early on. I forgot. I did forget to mention that that before like became routine. It was it was there were two moments, both defensive transition. One, if you look on the left side, Marcelo's nowhere near it, and he's never going to get to it in a million years, and he's just kind of jogging back and. If Alain can switch it there, it's, it's a breakaway, but they don't, and Varane makes a nice intervention. And then the second one was Carpegal hits this really weird, unorthodox crossfield pass to Marcelo, um, where he really put Marcelo un- under a lot of pressure. And then Marcelo, instead of heading it forward, he heads it backward, which leads to a breakaway. And then that's the one you speak of where Ramos clears it off the line. Yeah. I yeah. agree with you about the river thing, by the way. I think, like... If it was River, and we can't like take credit away from Alain because you know, fair credit to them, they 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 want to win and they won and they played us in the final. But if it had been River, the game would have been hyped up much more, and Real Madrid winning it probably would have at least, um, I don't know, might have gotten some more recognition universally if it was River Plate. But you can't fault, you know, it's nothing you can do about that. But it would have been more hyped, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, we. We haven't gotten into it yet. I know we have a question, so maybe you want to wait. But uh, Mr. Marco Charente, what mm-hmm. what a performance! Yeah, <clears throat> I um, I had so many notes about him before the goal even was scored because I was going to yeah. give him a shout out anyway post game because he was winning the ball high at the pitch. He was strong in midfield, just pushing people around, winning fifty fifties. Great defending in transition. Um, coverage was good as always. Mopping up messes that you know misplaced passes which weren't too often in a game like this because we dominated possession but it but it happened a couple times and he was there um and then he scores that goal which was like i've noticed that his offense has progressed so from someone who's watched him at castilla and has also watched him at alaves i think he's he was always a type of player offensively where he just looks to distribute as quickly as possible to easy outlets I feel like that's really changed in the past few games where he won't settle so much. He'll try to dribble his way out of tight spaces. He'll look for vertical passes, which he, he didn't always. In the, in the semifinal against um, uh, Kashima Antlers, he had, I don't know if you remember, he had this really beautiful through ball to Gareth Bale from long range. Yep, yep. Um, and then, I, you know, his offense has been good. He's been getting into shooting positions, never has really... There's like sometimes I'm like kind of maybe ready to jump out of my chair if I see him in a shooting position, but it always gets blocked or he shoots it over the net. But this one he struck it so well, and I just you know it was an amazing moment, amazing time. I mean, club world championships, you know, so you take it for what it is. But it was a, it was good to see him score his first Real Madrid goal. Yeah, and it was just kind of I don't even know how to describe it. Just kind of was the cherry on top for him because irregardless of the goal, like you said, he played so well in that game, irregardless of the goal. And he was just, I couldn't get over just, just his athleticism. He's built himself into this machine. Like that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And I know you've talked about it before. Um, you've written an article about it. I've written an article about it as well. And he's just, the kid works so incredibly hard and he yeah, just nonstop. pours his soul into like the sport and just dedicates himself. And, if his name, like, just 
just because his name isn't Cristiano Ronaldo, he's not compared to that level. But I, in my opinion, he probably works just as hard as Cristiano and dedicates himself just as hard as Cristiano. Yeah. And that's why like, he's able to come into the team after not playing for a year and a half and just play a full 90 minutes and run like you can't believe. And even in this game, like he gives his heart and soul every time he plays because he knows he's fighting for this position and he will not, he's going to hold on to it with all his claws and everything he can and i just remember like late in the game we're already up 3-1 i think it was and um it, i think a corner car hall is out of position and the ball goes down the our right flank and the alain player probably has a 20 yard advantage on marco charente and he just hounds him just his pay he has he, he's fast he's athletic yeah he gets there muscles this guy off the ball Wins the bo- wins like a goal kick, I think, for Madrid. Like made a fifty yard run all the way down the pit. It was just incredible. And like that's that's what you want from your defensive midfield. We have attacking fullbacks. That's what you want. And um, and like you said, now he's adding this other dimension to his game. He's adding the vertical passes, and he's just. I mean, I I, I know I speak for most Madridistas that we're much more comfortable having him pick up the ball than we are Casemiro, and he. Um, He's very efficient with his passing. Usually, does look, go to look for simple, simple ball to the creators, Modric or Cruz. But now he's adding other elements to his game. So I mean, I'm, I'm just so happy for the kid because, like you said, we know you know how hard he's worked. He and he has the added pressure of being from the Madrid bloodline. He's mm-hmm. uh, related to Hento. He's got his father, his uncle, his father. They've all had. Um, have all been affiliated with Real Madrid. Like, that's pressure. That's something you live with your whole life. That's not... Even if it's something that's just inside your head, like, that's something you have. And um, to kind of just weigh all this on your shoulders and have a year and a half of not playing, just continue to work, continue to work, continue to work. I mean, all credit in the world to this kid. I'm so happy for him. He deserves it. And um, I put out a tweet this morning that his longtime girlfriend, and they've been dating for years and years and years, so she's been through all this with him, and she cried during at the final during uh, after he scored. And that's, I mean, that's what it's all about. Like these guys go through a lot. There's ups and downs, and it's moments like that are just awesome. Well, uh, so first of all, wonderful, wonderful monologue, beautiful. Um, <clears throat> Solari after the game also spoke about, hinted at that that like this kid has pl- basically. Um, has just been so patient and hardworking and like and and when you speak about it like you like in terms of like freak athletes in the squad i think he's he's got to be like what top two and the thing is he's done that himself like just naturally as a person he probably isn't that great of an athlete but he's turned himself into just a monster because he works so damn hard (laughs) well he so i wrote about Llorente a couple weeks ago and um and one of the key things was that he takes care of his body probably more probably the most since we've seen since Cristiano Ronaldo and <clears throat> to a point where like we know that every footballer takes care of their body and their diet like this is nothing new we know that they're on, under strict regimes but you you first wrote about it like maybe like a week before I wrote about it that is it Ibai Gomez who called them lechuga who like who nicknamed yes. him that cuz just making fun of the fact that all he eats is vegetables but 
he actually the way he trains and his diet is actually extreme even to the or you know the ordinary professional footballer yeah and when he was talking about that himself he said that so it goes back to his youth days just to preface it because he found himself smaller than most footballers in terms of because it's his frame not so much his height but his frame um and the only, and he was never going to build strength just doing the same routine drills everyone else was doing in practice and playing games. And then especially if you're not playing games, you have to do even more work off the pitch. So he started to train on strength and just just to improve himself. So he does above and beyond what other footballers do. That like there's no question I think that gives has given him some kind of advantage. Um, because when other players are maybe satisfied with their current teams, you know training and regime and whatever he went above and beyond just to give him any advantage he possibly could um he did also win man of the match in this game i believe which was which was fantastic um there was something else you said about him that i wanted to bring up can't remember what it was now but I, the yorente the just like yeah tremendously happy for him well and just um you talked about how solari um mentioned him after the game and, and the thing that uh, I really like that Solari said too. Was he he works while no one's watching? You know, it's so true mm. that like when no one else is around or when no one else is expecting you to be doing the work, he he still puts it in and just does does whatever it takes. So one thing that um, when we talk about Casemiro and Llorente, and, and I don't want to turn it into a Casemiro versus Llorente thing because I think both players will be important for us. But <clears throat> one thing. Um, with Casemiro is that some people said Llorente is better offensively uh, but and I always said like let's not forget like Casemiro can shoot like really then, great shooter from distance and he like go over go back you know over the years whether it was with Porto or Champions League final goal against Napoli we know that Casemiro can shoot and I was like let's not let's not go too far if Llorente can add this to his game where he can be a threat from distance it would it's not like he'll have many opportunities, but he'll have some. And sometimes that's that's just like a huge help offensively. Yeah, agreed. I mean, we can't forget Casemiro scored some very important goals, including in Champions League quarterfinals and offset pieces. But yeah, exactly right. If Urante has this in his repertoire, that's certainly something that's going to just aid him in his battle for this position. And I think right now... From Solari's point of view, there's absolutely no reason to, even with Casemiro fit, no reason to um, drop Marco Charente. It'll be very interesting to see what happens in 2019, the first game um, when both Casemiro and Llorente will be healthy. Um, be very, very curious to see what happens because a lot of people feel like Casemiro will just walk straight back to the lineup. That may or may not be true. I don't know. But either way, I think what we know is that even if Casemiro retains a starting spot, Llorente won't disappear into the abyss anymore. He'll be a key part of the team. Yeah, As a he's... backup off the bench, providing rest, regardless. I think this was a huge blessing for us just to see Llorente work his way into the team. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's No matter what happens with this, he's no longer going to be the guy that's left on the fringes, not making squads anymore. Like He's now earned an important role, not just a role, but an important role with the team. And he's earned the trust of the manager and probably, hopefully, has earned his way a role into the future of Real Madrid as we transition into 
what this club will look, team will look like in future years. So, um, so I wrote about this a week or so ago, kind of some positives. Ari Rain, there's, there's, we've been talking a lot about the underlying statistics and how things haven't been so great even since the switch over from Lopetegui to Solari. And I think one of the positives, I mean, is, is Marco Chirente, is these young players like Regulon, Odriozola, Vinicius, they're all getting opportunities. And um, credit to Solari where it's due. I mean, uh, every other manager hasn't given Llorente a, a chance and hasn't given him any faith or trust. And Solari has. So, there's always positives to be taken. <laughs> yeah, um, this is this is a huge part of the Solari legacy, whether it's brief or not. I don't know, but um, assuming it is brief, this is a huge part of what what his legacy will be. Just giving Yorente a shot, in my eyes. Exactly. Yep. Are there any other notes you have on this game before we move on to a couple questions? Uh, no, I just I thought it was an all right. Not great performance from Benzema and Bale. I thought they were just. I thought Bale was probably the better of the two. He was on. He but he was put through on goal so many times and just failed to convert. Yeah. He almost scored a gorgeous bicycle kick, which would have been amazing. But mm. overall, I thought he needed to be cleaner in front of goal. I thought Benzema did a tremendous job holding up the ball and the first goal for Modric, um, and he connected pretty well with Bale and Modric in the game. But like I said earlier in the pod, he had that good opportunity in the first half that was put on a plate for him. He hit it over the hit it over the goal and just thought he kind of, as the game wore on, just kind of diminished a bit. Yeah, he diminished. I mean, even um, his hold-up play, even before the goal, was quite good, I thought. Like, there, he would, he would you know, drop back, hold the ball, wait for an overload from one of the fullbacks and, and lay it off to them. That A lot of our chances just came through stuff like that early on. Um, but then he kind of regressed. And But I... I agree with Bale. I thought his performance was overall disappointing. Um, certainly, his execution wasn't great, like the first, le- for, like the semifinal, and uh, he should have taken taken at least one or two of his chances, I think. But then he also had a couple high degree difficulty chances, which I wouldn't necessarily expect anyone to convert but him. And um, I just I want consistency from him, man. I just uh, I don't really care about this game. I'm, I'm glad to see that he scored that hat trick in the semifinal. I really hope he stays fresh for 2019 um, and starts it off the way he started off the season. If if a little bit of a couple of weeks rest will 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 help him with that, great. Um, not too many questions, actually, only two. I think people maybe don't care about the Club World Championship as much as they <laughs> care about the, the La Liga games and the Champions League games. Nicole Gant says, Keon, are you okay? I'm not sure if I was more excited for Llorente or Keon. Be excited for us both, uh, but be more excited for Llorente. I mean, like, I, my, my reaction to the goal was obviously I was ecstatic. Um, but again, like when you're at the Club World Championship, you know, you're, you're happy, but you just want, now you want it to tra- start translating to other stuff, to other competitions. Um, Sajid Reyes says this was bittersweet the club world championship for the third consecutive time it's quite bittersweet for me i feel like the euphoria of beating two inferior teams to win this title has truly given us that false sense of security i previously feared and will cause people to ignore the underlying numbers behind our performances secondly i'm really disappointed with this recurring treatment of isco not only does he not start but he also has players like ceballos valverde and vinicius jr subbed ahead of him regularly which is a disgrace 
Keon alluded that this is because he doesn't get along with Isco and it's not tactical. Isn't that very unprofessional of a coach to interfere with the team selection based on who he's buddies with in the team? I fear that we will lose arguably our most skillful attacker. And let's be honest, if I were a Liverpool or Man City fan, a Lucas Benzema bail front three wouldn't scare me. And imagine on top of this, you deny yourself the chance to bring on a player like Isco. <clears throat> I, I just want to clarify that I said... <laughs> Not that it's not entirely tactical, but it's more more leaning towards from what I've spoken to journalists in Madrid who are well connected that it's more of a personality issue. And then we also know the quote from Marcelo um, when in the first couple games after Isco was dropped, and and then it peaked when when he was not even in the squad against Roma, where Marcelo said Isco made a mistake that he needs to fix, and we don't know what that mistake is. But when Marcelo comes out and says it candidly, then it's not so i would also say that just because a coach drops a player um for an off the pitch issue doesn't ma- doesn't mean that he's unprofessional it very well means also that the player could it could be professional as well um there's there's not no no one really knows the details but to label solari as the unprofessional one not the player i think is just is just sometimes you, we can't support our favorite players so blindly just to think that they may have done nothing wrong. And we've seen this in the past with various athletes and various people who really support a certain player to the death. Um, I hope I hope Isco doesn't leave for what it's worth. Um, and I'm sure it's not an irreversible situation. Do you have any thoughts on this, Matt? Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. But um, first off, I, I think it's a bit of a stretch to say it's a disgrace that guys like Ceballos and um, Vinicius are getting an opportunity. I yeah. mean, they, they, these are young players just like Isco was at one time, and they need to play. Um, and Ceballos has been fantastic this year. Vinicius has looked great every single I mean, time he plays. Valverde he makes, has looked great. Yeah, all, every time these guys play, they make something happen, and they look good. So, And not the same could really be said about Isco. Uh, he was getting many opportunities at the start of the season and just wasn't making it happen. So, I mean, you just have to kind of, as hard as as hard as it is, because I love Visco, um, but take an un- unbiased look at it and just be like, hey, I mean, these other guys deserve an opportunity. They played well. There's no reason why they shouldn't be given more, more opportunities. Um, with all that being said, I-, I do think Isco is one of the most talented attacking players we have in our team, but um, and there's clearly something going on between he and Solari. Um, but I do think it's kind of like how this team, yeah, we talk about the underlying numbers. We talk about how this team um, hasn't been performed. But you've mentioned it before. We've all mentioned it before. I mean, these guys, unfortunately, just don't kick it into gear until like February, March. And I think once those important games roll around and once the team hopefully, hopefully is clicking into gear again, around that spring time frame, Isco will, um, I think, hopefully reemerge and be a crucial part of the team. And I, I don't think there's any way he's leaving this winter, but we'll see what happens in the rest. Of, the rest of the season is going to be crucial, and then what happens with Solari also going to be crucial. So we'll see. It's still early days, but um, Isco definitely, definitely has a lot of work to do in front of him. He's got to kind of have the Marco Chirente attitude if he wants to get back in this team. I will say 
this is not entirely related to Isco, but just something you touched on in terms of like when our players peak. We also know supporting this team in the last few years that unfortunately, but also fortunately, our players peak later in the season. And um, for whatever it's worth, I think Modric and Kroos are starting to be Modric and Kroos again. Particularly Modric. I don't think Kroos has... I think Kroos has been consistently, like, generally good this season, even when the team Agreed. hasn't been. Modric hasn't been himself, but I would. I think Modric in the last... Um, mm, I don't want to put a time frame on it, but I don't know, last few games has looked closer to his last season World Cup self, which is a good sign just in case you thought he was like never going to recover that form. I think I think we'll see we'll see the peaks um hopefully in the springtime. Cuz it does seem like they're they're kind of finding their stride again. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think you're seeing it with I mean other play spur just to reference other teams with English the English national team Spurs was pretty heavy with guys who went to the World Cup and we're now starting to see them kind of click into gear again. Um, and I think it's just now is the time when they're finally kind of getting over that World Cup hangover. And obviously, Modric went the furthest and almost played with all the extra time. I think it amounted to, I don't know how many, like two extra games or something like that. So it's, uh, and because of his age, it's, it's obviously going to take him a little bit longer. But I think you're right. We're, I think hopefully, don't want to jinx it, but I think we are starting to see. Uh, Modric come into form and we desperately desperately need that in 2019 um, so hopefully that translates over yeah I think um, I think the only person who hasn't recovered from the World Cup hangover yet is Dejan Lovren <laughs> who was, uh, has not looked great this season <laughs> and is not, even, is not even starting at this point um, the schedule when we return in January on January third, away to Villarreal, who are, have really been struggling, but uh, you know it, it gets it gets tough. Like you know, then we have Sociedad at home, which I think another team that's really been un- unimpressive actually this season. Yeah, away to Betis, and then we have Sevilla at home, which will be tough. Away to Espanol, home to Alaves, which will be t- you know should be tough theoretically. Um, away to Atleti, then we have Ajax, then we have Girona. Away to Levante, who've been great under Paco Lopez. Then we have the Clasico, then the Ajax, Ajax second leg, and then after that, God knows what else. But it's um, it's going to be going to be fun, challenging yeah. 2019. Hope for the best. Yeah. That's uh, where we're going to see uh, Solari's true colors and see what yeah. this team's really made of. And I think watch out for that Villarreal game because they just obviously changed managers. Uh, it's away from home mm. and it's right after the break, so that one's probably going to be a dangerous one. And then. Yeah. Listening to you rattle off Atletico, Ajax, El Clasico, that's that's oh my god, that's gonna be that's gonna be crazy. But it almost seems um, like we have an El Clasico in between, like right before a, a our second leg league, knockout. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess that's it. Well, you and I, I was gonna, I was gonna wish everybody happy New Year, and but we're back Tuesday. Yep. Yeah, we'll 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 save that happy Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday stuff for Tuesday. <laughs> but regardless, I guess have a have a safe couple of days. Um, really wishing you guys, uh, you know, a, a safe holidays. And it's been a pleasure covering this team for you guys. It's been a pleasure working alongside Matt and everyone else. Gabe, Ohm, go down the list. Um, Emily, Rob, Citric, uh, our other Emily. So Emily Wilson and Emily Woods. Um, 
it's just it's been great. Lucas Navarrete churning out content like there's no tomorrow. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Sam Sharp, amazing job with Castilla. Castilla um, Guru. Yeah, Castilla Guru. So thank you everyone for listening. Oh, patron shout outs. Matt, you gotta do this really quickly. So yeah. if you're listening and you don't know by now, we have a Patreon page where you get all kinds of exclusive content. You get access to our bonus loan tracker show on Tuesdays. You get access to our midweek show on Wednesdays where we recap Champions League or Copa del Rey games or do mailbags or address any other Real Madrid stuff that come up, do shows about Real Madrid's history every now and then. Um, and then you also get guaranteed responses to your questions, among other many rewards. So patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Shout out to all these $10 plus patrons because if you pledge $10 or more, you actually get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to... As I bring this up. All right. Shout out to Red Bat, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefani, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Mark Rady, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Ragav Reddy, Ola Wapamimo, Ola Dunjoy, Christian Toff, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raha Poluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sajai Wani, Peña Maridista, San Francisco Bay, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Bosnicic, Sway Ayala, Rafael Servilla, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anthony Hack, Anton Hackberg, nice, there's so many, I'm just twisting my tongue now, Solomon yeah. Ortiz, Carolina Reyes, and Daniel Smith. Thank you so much, guys. You guys are all amazing. I wow. really appreciate it. That list it. has just gotten so long. It's incredible. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much. You guys are amazing. Uh, Matt Wiltsey, thank you for doing this, my friend, and we'll chat Tuesday. Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid.